Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Podcast to be named later. I am Chris Willis, and I am joined again tonight by Stephen Talbert. Stephen, how are you doing? What's up, man? Yeah, it's what a night, right? What a night. We, you know, we watched this guy all year long, and you know, Mookie had that insane August, and and I wasn't sure if 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 he was going to come and kind of and steal it away. Mookie had an incredible year, but you know, Ronald was the best player in the National League for pretty much since day one and it's it was it's really rewarding you know the season didn't end the way any of us wanted to obviously you know on the team level but you know seeing ronald win the mvp and finally get kind of credit for the year he had that was that was nice it was it was obviously we we would have taken the world series over this but if you couldn't get the world series and then having ronald win the mvp was was pretty sweet yeah, and if uh, you weren't following along earlier tonight, Ronald Cooney Jr. won the M- in National League MVP award unanimously, uh, all 30 place votes, uh, first place votes. Mookie Betts received all 30 second place votes. It was the first time that that's ever happened, I think, in, in BBWAA voting history. You know, as you said, I think we we had a discussion in Slack pretty much for the last two days about this, and I kind of I was kind of on the side that I thought he was going to win comfortably. I know I was kind of in the minority because a lot of people thought, uh, a lot of people we were talking to uh, thought this was going to go down to the wire and he might even lose. Kind of made me a little nervous there at the end, but I would have never. I would have never predicted him to finish unanimous. And I mean, you know, I, when I was looking at the numbers today, getting ready to write the write the article if he did win, you know, to me, I mean, he had an unbelievable season. You know, forget 40-70 for a second. Just look at the, you know, when you look at he led the league in hits, led the league in runs scored. I mean, just across the board, it felt like he was the best player in the game. And that's no slide at Mookie Betts because Mookie Betts had a phenomenal season as well and had that red-hot August, and it looked like he might steal the award away from Ronald. Ronald finished strong. It started out in that series in Los Angeles, which I think is was significant. You know, I think Ronald really rose to the moment and, uh, you know, just started capturing all these uh, all these records. Obviously, Rhett led the league in stolen bases, the first 40-homer 40, 40 70 uh, steal season in league history. Uh, I thought the thing you just tweeted out just right before we started recording about – his weighted runs created plus by month. I mean, he really didn't have a cold month all season. You know, and I don't know that I've ever seen a player that just came out from day one and produced kind of the way he did. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, I've been looking through his numbers the last two days, just kind of anticipating this coming and 
if you ask me to rank them, like I could probably reel off 10 or 12 different numbers before I got to 4070 in terms of what I think is the most impressive. Like, you know, I know that's the number that everybody is going to think of. And, that, you know, that might be one of the reasons it was unanimous tonight. But I, I don't even think that's in the top 10 of most impressive things he did this year. And I think, like I tweeted out, the most impressive is he went six months and never slumped. I mean, if he went more than two days without a hit, it was like, man, what's wrong with Ron? Like, it was he was always on. And that's, I mean, even the very best player. Think about Freddie Freeman or Matt Olson. Like, think about the slumps. You know, even Austin Riley, like, guys go through slumps. It's it's six months of baseball. It's, you know, you got pitchers throwing 101 miles an hour with 24 inches of movement. Like, it's very easy to go into a, a slump. I mean, Mookie Betts went into a big slump in September. And Ronald, it just never happened with Ronald. His worst month by WRC Plus was a 146. And that that was May. And that's still an elite, that's still elite production. So his worst month was still, you know, an elite hitter. And that's crazy. And I think that I, I would like to think that's what won him the award more than the 4070 um, is his consistency. Because he was literally from day one the best player on the team, the best player in the league. And you know, that's that's what I'll remember about this season from him was that he literally went six months and basically never slumped. And that's almost impossible to do. And, you know, it's a long list of very impressive things that he accomplished this year. We could spend the whole episode just talking about his numbers. But in my opinion, that's the most impressive. You and I talked about this several times throughout the season. But to me, I mean, the most impressive thing to me was, you know, the, the batting average, the um, – this plate discipline, cutting his strikeout rate to 11.4%. If you'd have told me coming into the season that he was going to have a 40 40 season, I'd have said, okay, I believe it because I know he's that kind of talent. You know, I knew you knew he had the 40 homers in it. Even if you'd have told me 40 60, I probably could have wrapped my head around that. But if you'd have told me he was going to hit 337 and have an 11.4% strikeout rate, I would have had a hard time really believing that. I mean, for the season he had, he had 80 walks, 84 strikeouts. And there was a large point of the season where he was walking more than he was striking out. To me, I mean, when you look at the way he's matured as a hitter over the years, you know, I mean, I mean, he had a season, he had a season, his first full one, he struck out 188 times. You know, in 2021, it was, he really, it was on his way, it looked like, uh, before the knee injury hit. But, you know, to take that next step as a hitter, you know, that was the biggest thing to me because, you know, he could kill you with a homer, but he could kill you with that opposite field single. And, you know, and I, I don't have the stat in front of me, and I meant to look it up, but I don't know how many times he started a game with just a base hit the other way. And he did that, you know, he did that constantly from opening day all the way to the end. And it was just that, you know, to me, that was, that was the biggest surprise with him because I just, I knew he had the power. You knew he had the power. You knew he was going to cause havoc if he got on base. You know, I probably wouldn't have predicted a hunt. He would score 149 runs, but I also didn't, wouldn't have thought the Braves would have produced the amount of runs that they produced this season. But he was a, a huge part of it. And and like you said, it was from day one, you know, and and that's just uh, it was a remarkable season. And I mean, to me, it's one of those we kind of take him for granted. Um, but you know, we may not ever see a season like this again across the board. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, you know, what he did every month 
was insane. The fact that he cut his strikeout rate by almost half is unheard of. Like, just doesn't happen. Like, usually when guys cut their strikeout rates by that much, they also lose either their walks or they lose their power. It's very hard to, it's very hard to cut your strikeout rate and keep your same power and keep your same walks. It's it's almost impossible to do. So, like, that's up there with the most impressive. I mean, he had a four or yeah, he had a four sixty three expected WOBA, which means he actually underperformed his metrics, which, you know, in terms of the craziest things about this season, it could have been even better if he had a, some better batted ball luck. He led the league in barreled outs. I mean, this could have been like a 60-60. I mean, I'm serious. It, I, I want people to understand how ridiculous this season was. And even outside of the 40 homer, you know, 70 stolen base, like there are just, there are numbers in his season that you do not ever see. And, you know, for him to put up an eight and a half win season while underperforming his metrics is just absurd and cutting his strikeout rate in half and never going into I mean, it's just I'm so happy he won. I, I can't believe it was unanimous. I'm 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 actually pretty proud of the 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 writers for for getting this voting right. I, I had very little faith in them of, for actually doing it, uh, but they did. And they they rewarded him for what is a unbelievable season. and. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy for him because he, you know, he's coming back from the injury. No one was a hundred percent sure if he was ever going to be the exact same guy he was before he got hurt. And you know, he comes into this season fully healthy, and he puts up the best season of his career so far, and that's just awesome. And he's all the way back to the guy he was, you know, right before he got hurt, which was probably the best player in the league. And you know, the sky's the limit now. I mean, you know, now we're just counting MVPs because. I doubt very seriously this is going to be his only one. In a lot of ways, he's he's better now yeah. than he was before the injury, which is a scary thought, you know. And I mean, we knew you know he was going to grow grow into it, and the ACL injury was unfortunate. And the 2022 season, he just never was completely right, but was still a really good uh, player, you know, even just not by his standards. So, you know, it was it's remarkable. Uh, I'm glad he was unanimous. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, but you know, there's just not enough things that you could say about Ronald. And it just felt like after the injury, you know, everybody kind of forgot about him. You know, it was Fernando Tatis Jr. It was Juan Soto. It was uh, Bryce Harper, Mookie Betts, everybody, you know, and, and, you know, here he was, you know, kind of sitting, sitting back and, uh, but he's, he's back in that category now for sure. And, uh, I'm glad he got that, glad he got that MVP, you know, to kind of cement it. Looking a little bit further down, Freddie Freeman finished third. Matt Olson finished fourth. They were really close. Freddie got 17 third place votes. Matt Olson got 13. And uh, uh, and then a little further down, Austin Riley had, was seventh. I think this is his third straight uh, season where he's finished seventh or better in the MVP voting. Uh, Ozzy Albies and Marcelo Zuna also got votes way down the ba- ballot. I was a little surprised that Riley was as high as he was. You know, he never did really have that signature hot streak, but he was pretty solid all the way through. He had great numbers, but was just kind of overshadowed a little bit by Olsen and Acuna and just the Braves lineup in 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 general. But uh, you know, was you surprised to see R- Riley in the top ten? Um, I you know, I honestly I don't look at the ballot or I don't look at really anything outside of the guys who are, are likely to win it. So I, I'm always a little surprised by down ballot voting. Um, you know, I, it's, 
you know, I think Dansby Swanson got a down ballot vote. I think Azuna got one. You know, Riley had a really good year. It wasn't offensively. It was a step back from the last two years. You know, he's he had a 127 WRC plus this year. Last year was a 143. So, you know, he definitely had a, a lesser year with the bat, but he had a much better year with the glove. And that did that, you know, that made up for a lot. Um, so, you know, I'm not that surprised that the Braves were the best team in baseball. So, you know, you figure they're going to have the, the most guys in terms of MVP votes and they had a really deep offense and Austin definitely got overshadowed by, by Matt and, and Ronnie this year, but, um, I'm not terribly surprised. I do expect Austin to bounce back a little bit next year with a, with probably a little bit better of an offensive year. He didn't have a bad year by any stretch, but he's got more in the tank. And I think he would tell you that. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, this lineup is just set for you know years to come. Now they've got so much unbelievable offensive talent, and you can you know just look at the MVP voting to you know if you need any reassurance about that. So it's incredible to see, and 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 obviously you know Ronnie leads the way, and and, and Matt right behind him. But it's a it's an insanely deep offense. I think you know I think everybody knows that by now. This was the uh, awards week for the baseball riders. Uh, Cy Young Award uh, came out on Wednesday. Spencer Strider finished fourth. He wasn't a finalist. I'll be honest, the only thing I want to touch here, Blake Snell ended up winning this award. I know there's been a lot of discussion online. I don't really want to get into it. I didn't feel like there was a perfect candidate. Snell was so good down the stretch. I can kind of see why he won. You know, But I think for everybody that points to the ERA for Strider, I can point to the walks for uh, Blake Snell. I was a little surprised about the reaction. When they announced the finalist, I tweeted that Spencer Strider wasn't one. About half of the reaction that I got on Twitter was, you know, they were, uh, they thought it was an injustice. And the other half was like, well, he didn't deserve it. He really wasn't that good, which surprises me a little bit. I mean, he led the majors in strikeouts. You know, I don't think he was quite as dominant as uh, everybody was expecting him to be. There was a lot of games there where, you know, a three-run home run late would kind of skew his overall line. But his uh, FIP was about a run run a run and almost one and a half runs lower than his era and i think everybody you know kind of looked past that i thought strider was really good in his first full you know in in this season and uh you know he stayed healthy all the way through uh but i think you know he's another guy i think we could see getting a trophy on, on down the road yeah i don't i i'm not gonna get too much in the weeds on the cy young um i i don't like how much era is is used to vote on these things. I, I think it's a flawed stat. I, I think ERA needs to be considered, but it, it doesn't need to be weighed as heavily as it, as it is. And it's clearly the, the number one factor. If you look at voting, I mean, you know, uh, the only way you can make an argument that, that Blake Snell is one and Zach Wheeler is sixth is if you, if you only look at ERA and I understand why people do it. And I do think ERA needs to be a part of the equation, but I think it's 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 weighed way way too heavily. And I think a lot of it comes from a misunderstanding of of what FIP is. And again, I'm not going to get into the weeds on what on that in this episode. But I agree with you. It wasn't a great year for for Cy Young guys. Or every every candidate kind of had a, a a big flaw. And and I think there was probably going to be some. You know, there was going to be a, a a bit of conversation no matter who won um, about, you know, whether somebody else should have won. So it's just kind of the year it was. I do think Strider, you know, a couple of blow up innings, a couple of games where he, you know, gave up three or four runs kind of in his last inning of work uh, definitely cost him. You know, if his ERA had been in the 
in the low threes. I think he probably is a finalist at least, and if not wins the award just because his FIP was so incredibly low. But yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, that's the nature of baseball. People, people use the stats they're comfortable with and for better or for worse, it, it kind of leads to this. And it, it just wasn't a great year for, for the Cy Young to begin with. So I'm not like up in arms about it. I just, I, I wish in 2023, I wish we could do a little bit better of a job of, of using stats across the board instead of just, you know, all the traditional ones, at least for on the pitching side. On the offensive side, the position player side, they do pretty well. But on the pitching side, we're still kind of behind. But, you know, is what it is. And and good for Blake Snell. It's obviously a great a great time for him because he's going into the free agent market as a Cy Young winner. So it's hard to pick better timing than that. Last award we're going to talk about tonight is the manager of the year. Brian Snicker finished third. He did receive eight first-place votes, which I thought was significant because that's the same amount as Skip Schumacher, Marlins manager, who won who won the award. Craig Council finished second. Council, of course, was with the Brewers and now with the Cubs. Uh, it's been kind of the dominant storyline of the offseason so far. You know, manager of the year, I, I, I'm not going to get too much into it. If you're favored coming in, you're not. It, it's going to be really hard for you to win. So I was a little surprised to see Snicker get the same amount of first-place votes as uh, as the winner in Sh- Schumacher. I think, you know, if you – you know, you can look at the Marlins. If you're not a playoff team every single year uh, and you get in there – I think you've got a chance to win manager of the year. Don Madeline won it in 2020 in the expanded, even bigger expanded postseason after the 60 game season. You know, Snicker, I think the Braves, you know, Braves would clearly went into the postseason as the favorites, won 100, you know, led led the majors in wins, had an historic offense. Uh, what, No matter what you think about Brian Snicker or whatever, I think that should. Uh, I think that should carry some weight. And it looks like it did this time, but still not enough to get him, you know, above third. Yeah, I thought Snit had a pretty valid argument for the award just because of, you know, the Braves obviously had the best record in baseball, but, you know, they were missing 40% of their rotation for a big chunk of the year. And they had to, they had to piece it together for a lot of the year. You know, a lot of that obviously falls on the manager and the GM. And, you know, I thought they had a decent argument, but, you know, I mean, it's just like coach of the year in other sports. You know, manager of the year is basically, which team did we think was going to be terrible wasn't as terrible as we thought they'd be. And and that's the team that usually wins, you know, manager of the year or whatever. And for better or for worse, that's just what it is. And, you know, I, I don't think the Marlins were, you know, I, I said it a lot on this episode or on this show. I, I, I was pretty low on the Marlins. You know, they snuck into the playoffs because of expanded playoffs. And, you know, we've kind of lowered the bar on what it means to be a good team. And I guess by that definition, Miami was a good team, but, you know, everybody picked them to be fourth in the division and they were third and, and it stuck into that last wild card spot. And and honestly, that's probably all it took for, for Schumacher to win. And I don't think the voting goes much deeper than that, honestly. But, you know, it was a really good year for Snit. I thought he had a really good year managing. It was not easy. Um, it was not smooth sailing and, and they still had the best record in baseball. So um, even though he didn't win, he came in third. But I thought this was a really good year for him. Yeah, and I think that stretch at the end of the season maybe is what um, allowed Shoemaker to win the win the award. You know, it looked like the Marlins were going to slide out of out of the postseason altogether, and you know, we had some injuries, lost Sandy, uh, Jorge Soler, and to injuries, and then you know they still found a way to do it. So you know, I guess I guess that's what I guess that's what to get. I think everybody predicted three NL East teams to make the postseason, and uh, 
you know, three did. Uh, it just wasn't three we were expecting. Uh, the Marlins, at, you know, replacing the Mets. So, anyway, uh, a good season for Brian Snicker. Another year as a finalist. Uh, there's nothing to nothing to sneeze at. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about some more off-season stuff. We did start the week with some free agency rumors. Ken Rosenthal had a a report in the Athletic said the Braves were going to be willing to pay for a top-of-the-line free agent starter. That's significant because no one on the Braves currently makes more than $22 million annually uh, in all their extensions that they've handed out. Matt Olson, Austin Riley, $22 million has been the top top of the line. And if they're going to go out and get a free agent starter, then that's probably, you know, they're probably going to have to spend more than that, honestly. Um Later on that same day, uh, John Morosi linked the Braves to Aaron Nola and Sonny Gray. To me, my takeaway from this was, you know, if they're in on Aaron Nola or in on Sonny Gray, they're going to be in on everybody else as well. You know, I think that's good because I think they know they've got to go out and get a starter. You and I have talked about the rotation and the the concerns with it. The only thing I hate is uh, getting names linked this early. Because now if you don't get an Aaron Nola or you don't get a Sonny Gray, a lot of people are going to look at this as a failure, uh, you know, for the offseason. And maybe it, maybe it will be. I don't know. But, uh, you know, we seldom we seldom see, a, you know, that stuff happen. But what do you think about hearing the Braves are willing to spend on a, on a free agent starter? Yeah, I've never really put much stock into the $22 million, you know, cap or whatever. Um, I think that's actually probably more of a coincidence than it is like a hard line the team is set. And the, and the reason I say that is because they, you know, people remember they offered Freddie Freeman $140 million over five years, which is $1 million a year. So, like, they're clearly okay with going above that if they need to. I, I don't really think they, they've set out and said, you know, we're not paying any player over $22 million no matter what. I, 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 I've never really viewed it like that. I think it's more of just – a lot of their guys' extensions has come in at that number, and and so that's just kind of been the number people have gravitated to. I, I think they would absolutely go above it if they needed to, if they wanted to. So, I mean, it was good to hear Rosenthal say it. I guess I, I, I guess I've never really been, you know, the type that has seen it as a hard cap, anyways. But yeah, I mean, I think they're going to have to go above that, if especially if they want to go get a guy like Nola. You know, I think Sonny Gray could probably be had for something around that. You know, if you look at the numbers that have been projected, he's been about, you know, 480 or 485, something like that. Um, so that, you know, that would be 20 million, 22 million dollars a year, something like that. So, he, you know, that would be right in line with the Braves normally do. But yeah, I don't, I, I wasn't surprised at all. I, I don't think, I don't think the Braves treat that as a hard cap at all. I think that's more of a coincidence. Yeah. And I mean, the good thing about it is the way they have, distributed salary throughout this you know throughout this roster it's not top heavy you know really um you know all their stars are, are getting paid something they're all their core is getting paid something significant now on these long-term deals and i think it allows you 
to go out in free agency and make a splash, you know, if you need to. And they're in that situation right now where they really need to, and not just for next season, but, you know, for 2025 as well, because you, you know, the uncertainty around Max Free, Kyle Wright, you know, you and I touched on it, I think, I'm pretty sure last episode. So, you know, things kind of been quiet since uh, all that came out early on, uh, early on in, on Monday. I expect it to stay quiet probably through Thanksgiving, but as we head into the winter meetings, it's going to be interesting to see if any of these free agents you know start to sign or if all the top line pitchers uh wait to see what happens with Shohei Otani because you know a lot of as is the case a lot of times if you know multiple teams are in on Otani and only one's going to get him a lot of times other teams will pivot uh and and the top free agents like to stand back and wait so you know it'll be interesting I'm hoping for an old school winter meetings where we get some signings we get some rumors uh, it just seems like, you know, I think the Sean Murphy trade last year even came a day or two after the winter meetings. Uh, you know, I would love to see an old school hot stove uh, for once because it seems like we've kind of gotten away from that. Honestly, man, I would I would love to see any movement of any kind from any team at this. I mean, it has been it has been a barren wasteland for the what 10 days I think the World Series ended 10 days ago. Free, that's when or no, I'm sorry, free agency started 10 to. 10 days ago the, the world series ended like 15 or 16 days ago so just anything at this point i'll i'll be happy with because i just need some sort of movement you know baseball baseball is always a, a slow off season and you know i guess we just need to get used to that but usually at some point you know at least by now the braves especially you know have i've gotten a lot of deals done in november it's usually a time where alex moves now obviously alex already got joe jimenez and and um and uh charlie morton done and got johnson done so you know they've done some stuff but it's been slow so uh, i would love to see anything and i I mean honestly i'll take a a middle infielder signing with some random team at the just i need something to kick start it to to to, you know jump start this offseason it would be great if one of the big guys signed like you said there's often a domino effect where you know guys wait on the top guy to sign so everybody can kind of get in line and get their money you know in the order that it happens and that'd be great if Shohei wants to sign sometime soon that would be wonderful so you know we can get the rest of the offseason going but it's been brutal it's been slow and yeah I'm, I'm ready for some some movement yeah and the last thing on the docket for this week uh Friday the non-tender deadline uh, is coming up. The Braves now have nine players that are eligible for arbitration. The list is obviously headlined by Max Fried and AJ Minter. Uh, you know, of course, the Braves are going to tender them a contract. There are a couple of interesting decisions to be made, and the biggest, of course, is Mike Soroka. Um, you know, the Braves have famously carried Soroka throughout. You know, his his injury timeline. Um, you know, he, he was shut down at the end of last season with uh, an arm injury. Uh, but he's out of options now, and that's I think that's the biggest factor. You and I was talking about this in Slack a little bit earlier. You know, you, on one hand, you know, it's a great story. Uh, you know, they can tender him, and it be uh, non, uh, a portion of it won't be guaranteed, uh, you know, if they cut him sometime in spring training. But at the same time, you know, even if they if they tender him, even if they signed him, he's got to make the club or they've got to expose him to waivers. So, you know, Soroka's situation is something to watch tomorrow uh, or Friday as we're recording this. So, you know, what are, what's your feeling there? Do you think uh, you think they tender Soroka, or do you think this this might be it? I think there's a very good chance this is it. 
maybe we're wrong. Um, you know, we've been wrong on this stuff before, but you know, when you don't have options and Soroka doesn't have options, like you just said, it gets really tight because, you know, if you don't make the club out of spring training, then, you know, the team has to put you on waivers because they can't send you down to Gwinnett anymore. And, you know, if you know you're going to have to do that, and and listen, as we sit here today, the odds of, of Soroka making the opening day roster in 2024 are pretty low, you know. And if he if the Braves were to put him on waivers, he would almost certainly get claimed. I mean, he would not he would not make it through waivers. So, you know, I could see a scenario where they just go ahead and skip the whole process and non-tender him and maybe try to sign him back. Uh, but, you know, I, I think he would get offers elsewhere uh, to be on a major league roster. I think there are teams that could use him. Um, but, and I hate to say it. I mean, I really, you know, I think everybody was rooting for Mike. Um, and maybe I'm wrong. You know, it's only $3 million to tender him a contract. You know, they've shown they're, they're willing to spend a little bit of money this offseason. They have quite a bit of money. You know, they've made quite a bit of money the last few years. So, you know, maybe $3 million is nothing to them, and, and they tender him a contract. I'm, I hope I'm wrong because I would love to see him back. But with no options, and that's really the killer, um, you know, even more so than the injuries or the ineffectiveness is, is not having any options. You just, you know, you have to be on the major league roster or you have to be, you know, put on waivers and – that's tough. That's a tough spot to be. I mean, we saw last year how many times Mike got sent down um, to Gwinnett just, you know, either because of workload or because of ineffectiveness and, and that those options that, you know, that option is not available to the Braves next year. So um, it's going to be a big one. That's the big one. You know, everybody's going to be watching tomorrow is, is, you know, is this the end for, for the Braves and, and Soroka? Yeah. And just to, just to clarify now, um, if they tender him, you know, I don't. The we, it just means that they can go to arbitration. The three million dollars is an arbitration estimate by MLB, MLB trade rumors. I think Soroka's made two point eight million the last two years. Now, what we may see out of some of this, uh, some of these guys is they may they may go ahead and sign tomorrow and avoid arbitration. You know, so uh, we've seen that in the past, and I think it's a situation where the Braves say, "Here, you can either sign this, or we're going to non-tender you." And move on, you know, some other guys that could be non-tendered are, are guys like Kobe Allard, uh, Michael Tonkin. Uh, but, you know, those their number, their arbitration projection is so low that, you know, they're probably, they've probably got to get a chance of getting tendered and carried, um, you know, to spring or, or even signing a contract outright. The other interesting one is Nicky Lopez, which I think you and I have talked about. His arbitration projections for $3.9 million. And, and, you know, the only reason I pointed out is the Braves starting shortstop uh, will only make $2 million next year in Orlando Arcia after he signed that deal. I would not be shocked if we – uh, get an announcement tomorrow of a two or three year deal for Nicky Lopez at some, you know, or even, or maybe they just tender him and then we get that announcement later on. I wouldn't be surprised to see them extend him, but you know, it would be, it would be a little interesting. I know it doesn't really mean anything, but it would be really uh, a little interesting to see, you know, a bench player making double what the starting shortstop was making, uh, because you know, that's not something that, that typically happens. Yeah. And, you know, tomorrow is a day where you could you could see extensions, right? Like that, to, the non-tender deadline is a day where that does happen all around baseball. Where instead of, you know, instead of agreeing to a one-year contract or instead of you know going through arbitration, teams and players will actually agree to an extension. And you know, obviously, Nicky Lopez, like you said, is is a clear uh, candidate for that. 
you know, the Braves have AJ Minter, who's, you know, this is going to be his last year under team control. Obviously, everybody knows about Max Freed. This is his last year of team control. I don't think anybody's expecting, you know, either of those guys to get an extension done by tomorrow, but, you know, who knows? Maybe. I mean, it's not the craziest thing in the world. Um, you know, we'll see. I agree with you. I think Lopez is probably the most likely out of the three just because it's going to be a, a much smaller commitment. And I'm sure they would like a little more cost certainty than having to go through arbitration, you know, year after year. Um, so, yeah, I agree with that. I think it's possible. I do think it's worth keeping Nikki around. Um, you know, Ozzy's hit the the IL, you know, uh, a couple of times every year, it seems like. Orlando is still kind of a question mark at shortstop in, in terms of being an everyday guy. You know, having a really capable backup is probably worth it. Um, and $4 million is, is really not that much money in the, in the grand scheme. So, um, you know, somebody who's that good defensively that can play all over the field, you know, they need to, if they don't extend him in some way, they, at the very least, they need to pick him up because he's, he was a tremendous pickup in, in the middle of the year. And, and, you know, he needs to be on this team next year. Other arbitration eligibles are Nick Anderson, $1.6 million is his projection. Kobe Allard already mentioned $1 million. Michael Tonkin already mentioned $1 million. Kyle Wright, $1.4 million. Uh, obviously, he's going to miss all of next season. Waskar Yanoa, I don't know that you and I have talked about Yanoa since uh, uh, the GM meetings, but uh, – uh, the report was that he's going to be he's going to be ready to go in spring training. Obviously, he had uh, missed all of last season after having Tommy John surgery. His numbers, his projections for one million. I expect the Braves, like I said, you know maybe you know maybe one of those guys gets cut loose. But I expect you know it, it's such a low number. You know they've got not, really nothing to lose for bringing them in. The only two guys on this list though that are out of options is Soroka and Michael Tonkin. And Tonkin made it through the whole season, you know, with the team. You know he was a great story early, kind of faded down the stretch. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked either way, but I don't get a sense that they're not going to at least bring him to spring training and see what happens. So I did wonder. You know we was talking about Soroka last name before we get out of here. I did wonder if. Uh, you know, a possibility of a if they would tender him, and then if it's clear in spring that he's not going to make it, if they try to trade him, you know, I know some people think that the Braves could get him back on a minor league deal if they non-tender him, but I really don't think that. I really think there's enough bad teams around around the league that are looking for, uh, you know, looking for uh, you know high upside starter, uh, you know, as a bounce back candidate. Uh, that would take a chance on Soroka. I think. Uh, I don't think. I think if he gets non-tendered, this is probably it for the Braves. Um, I guess the flip side of that would be, you know, in the spring, if it was clear he's not going to make the roster, no team's going to add him because they know they could get him off waivers, you know, later on, uh, in a, you know, without having to make a trade. But like I said, I'm pulling for Soroka, but you know, it just seems like. Just looking at the state of the roster right now, and the idea that they're probably going to add a pitcher or two. You know, it's just really, really hard to kind of to kind of carve out a spot for him. Yeah, and the you know the forty man is a whole separate conversation. You know they they're just gonna they're gonna need some room to make some moves this winter, and they don't really have any room right now. So some of these guys have to go, you know, one way or the other. And you know, Soroka is just kind of an obvious name with zero options, and, and still not a really any clear indication of what he's gonna be going forward. You know, it would be interesting to trade him. I, you know, the fan base would be unbelievably upset, you know, because it wouldn't be like a huge return. It would be pretty modest. And, and uh, you know, you would have a lot of people saying, you know, why why are you giving away Michael Soroka for that? 
Um, but you know, the reality is the Braves need some flexibility on their 40 men. They need some, they need more certainty in the, in the major league rotation than Soroka offers at this point. You know, I, I really hate it. I mean, but the stars kind of align right now for, for moving on and, you know, we could be wrong. You know, they could tender him and, 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 and see if they can work something out. But yeah, 40 man spots are tight. The Braves still need to add to the rotation specifically. So, um, you know, I don't know how many more 40 man spots they're going to be willing to, you know, uh, to use on starters. Um, I think at some point here, you you just got to start replacing some of the guys that are already on the 40 man. And, you know, that's where, that's where it gets tough for Soroka and Allard and, and maybe, you know, uh, Hoskar, um, we'll see, you know, we'll find out tomorrow, of course, but they got, they need, they need more certainty in the rotation and, and, you know, Allard, Soroka, those guys don't really provide certainty at this point and, and that matters. And, and we'll see if that ends up costing them their spot. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see, um, obviously, uh, uh, you know, some tough decisions, but you know, that's just kind of the nature, the nature of the business at the off season, you know, the Braves still have some places they can, they could cut on that 40 man roster, but it's a, you know, it's a big concern. And I mean, you know, just to be clear, I mean, the Braves could sign Soroka to a three year deal tomorrow, but you don't get around him being out of options, you know? So if, uh, you know, if he's here, he's got to be here on opening day. That's what he's either got to be on the injured list or he's got to be on the opening day roster, uh, basically with with him being out of options. So that's what you have to, you kind of have to keep in your in your mind. So, anything else you want to hit before we get out of here? No, I just, I mean, I think you're right. With Thanksgiving next week, I think we're probably going to get another, you know, eight or ten days of of nothingness before we actually get into some moves. But I would love if somebody could make a signing tomorrow. Um, that would be tremendous if we can get this thing rolling. I want to see some player movement, get some rosters figured out, but you know, obviously it's a uh, baseball's off season is not like any other sports. So um, a lot of times it's just hurry up and wait, which is obviously tremendous when you have a podcast and you have to put out content and there's absolutely nothing. At least we had awards this week. Like, you know, I, I don't know what, we're, I don't know what we're going to talk about in the next two weeks. If, if nothing happens, I mean, we might be, we might be ranking, you know, our favorite, tennis shoes uh here pretty soon but um yeah i you know obviously we appreciate people listening um but you know hopefully we'll actually get some some off-season moves here pretty soon yeah we're uh obviously going to be talking to spend a whole episode on the rome braves now being the rome emperors uh but we're <laughs> saving that for until we actually need it no no and all joking aside uh we will not have a podcast next week uh thanksgiving week we hope everybody has a a great Thanksgiving. We were pretty, very thankful of all the support we've gotten for this podcast and every podcast in the site and, and the whole nine yards. You guys are the reason we're able to do this, and, and we do appreciate that. And we will see you guys uh, after Thanksgiving.